Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening and welcome to this edition of the Women of the Revolution. I am Susan Bonner, and my excelente researcher, co-host, and good friend, Deb, is with me. Happy New Year, Deb. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all our listeners, new and old. As I said last uh, show, this is our fourth year doing this, and we are going to do something a little bit different. We were going to do a special Christmas show, but um, it didn't work out. (laughs) Uh, December was kind of hectic for both uh, Deb and me. But we're going to do part of the Christmas show. Um, I did want to delve into the history of Christmas around the world, all that. But we're going to leave that for next year. I have the link. I'm going to put it in with my notes, and we'll save that part for next year. But because we have been so inundated with the disgusting rhetoric of the progs, I have decided, and Deb and I did mutually, that part of the Christmas show was going to be proving how the founding, how much religion, how much religion was important in the founding fathers' and mothers' lives. Now, we couldn't really find any quotes from the founding mother, but since they were married to these men, they're going to have the exact same sentiment. They're going to think the same. They go to the same church. They pray together. They pray together at dinner. They pray together before they go to bed. And even though we're going to be quoting mostly from the founding fathers, that doesn't mean that we've ran out of the founding mothers. It was just on this particular subject. Now, we're also going to highlight the who these men were, like in government, because we're constantly being told Separation of church and state, separation of church and state. The reason our country is so horrible right now and going down fast is because we have a separation of church and state. Not that we that it, it is constitutional. It's bringing our country down. Don't don't you agree? Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, and and I'm not a church going person. Neither I, I am I. Neither do I. But, I do believe in a, a God, and I believe in other things um, around. But I also believe in morals and ethics and, you know, um, if you followed, if you followed the, uh, you know, a lot of the scriptures and, and, I mean, you can take it where you want it, but there. I just believe that there's this omnipresent, omni, omniscient um, being who created everything. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't need it to be proven is what I believe, and that's my choice. Um, but there's too much order in the universe for this just to be a 
blip on the screen somewhere. So anyway, so I'm not a church-going person, which is why it's been so fascinating reading about these different religions that um, the people who came to America um, from 1607 to up to today, you know, why why they came and what their their religious background was and everything and um, it's just fascinating. Well, anyways, so we really wanted to look into this because there's this big, um, what would you call it, um, misinformation, I would call it. Uh, you know, the, the the Bolsheviks are trying to make everybody believe that most of the founding fathers were deists, and that meant that they didn't believe in God. You know, they didn't believe really in a God that you prayed to kind of thing. Well, that's not deism anyways. Um they don't even have that right. But, <laughs> excuse me, they, um, they, they'll they try to tell you that, you know, they, they so it, it, we shouldn't have God in the Constitution. We shouldn't have God in government. We shouldn't have God anywhere. Well, you know, that's a bit harsh and uh, ridiculous. So we just wanted to kind of bring it out there because I, I found some fascinating articles while researching um, what our founders said on God, and, and we just we just pricked the the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you go into their letters, and you go into their journals and and writings, and, and their speeches, their, even yeah. their speeches, yeah. especially the president. You know, that's one thing that I know is driving, and and it is really getting quite disturbing and disgusting listening to what these people are saying about my president um i could not stand barack obama but i still call him my president number one number two i've never heard anybody be berated and made fun of and i mean i it's like you're listening to fifth graders it oh, is no, really, really yeah or the lunchroom in junior high it, it is just it's just so ludicrous and well, this is the thing, you know. We haven't we haven't made our children grow up. Um, and I'm old enough to remember when, you know, you had manners, you were considerate, you respected your elders, um, and you know, you gave them the benefit of the doubt. You didn't take their crap if they were meanies, but you know what I'm saying. You respected your elders. Um, you had manners. You were considerate towards others, and. You were polite. You welcomed people, and you know, and and you you spoke up for yourself. I mean, playgrounds back in my day were things were taken care of out on the playgrounds. Then your parents were called. You know, everybody's parents were called, and they didn't sue the school. They took their kid home and you know gave them a good uh, whopping. And. Don't do that again. So it, it's very different now because we don't expect our children to grow up, unfortunately, because it helps the government that way. And, and you know, if you read the Communist Manifesto, and please do if you haven't already, because we're inundated with those who believe in communism and socialism, and it never is a good thing. People die from socialism and communism. Um, People are killed, people starve to death, people die of disease, people die of lack of resources. Because that's what happens when you run out of other people's money. And that's all socialism and communism is. The 1% keeps it all, 
and doles out the crumbs to the, the little people that are doing all the work. So, you know, don't go there. Kid, I can't understand how anybody in their right mind could look at the history. Just read Marx. Marx was insane, okay? Can we just say that? And it's not like our founders didn't know about socialism. Socialism had been around, and communism, the theories of, had been around for, you know, uh, millennia. So it wasn't. this isn't a new thing. And there's a reason they didn't choose it. So, because socialism, communism leads to um, tyranny and death. Anyway, well, getting back. To, uh, and uh, the other, the other thing is though that I was going to bring up. I have never, in my lifetime, and I was really young when Reagan was around, have heard a leader, a president, speak of God so much since the founding fathers, maybe Coolidge also. Um, and even though Teddy Roosevelt and all these other presidents invoked it every once in a while, they were basically the, our first communist leaders uh, for this country. But he, and he's genuine about it. And when we're going to read our founding fathers, I want you ladies and gentlemen to think about the last time you heard a speech by our President Trump. He, ha he always, always mentions God in his speeches, always. It's, it's amazing to me. And, and we read the, uh, his Christmas um, speech in front of the lighting of the, the Washington Christmas tree, which came here from Montana, where I live, out of Kalispell, which is about 300 miles from where I live. Um, and... I, we were reading it, and I was choking up. Um, we were reading it on the Uncooperative Radio Show. Brian had to stop a couple times because it was so inspirational, and it was so awe-inspiring. I was just like, Mike, we're, we're back. Oh, can we come back? Can the God-fearing, loving people of the United States, do we have a chance now, right, Deb? <laughs> I know. I, I mean, they're, they're, they're trampling our rights to worship as we please um, because they're letting, you know, the atheists who get offended so easily by this, you know, by something they don't even believe in. I mean, if I don't believe in something, I don't get offended by it. I figure, well, you know, that's, you know, different strokes for different folks, but um, that's what makes the world so interesting. But when you try to shut down someone because they don't agree with you, and shut down their business, take them to court, bankrupt them. That isn't that isn't a good thing. I mean, see, this is the whole. Oh, this is getting back to the communists because you know the Bolsheviks. If you read up your history, and please do, you must read about um, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. They're very important to read about because we are we. They, they made it into America, and they made it into our government. They're teaching in our, um, well, not the Bolsheviks and Mensheviks. They're all dead. But, uh, you know, what I'm saying is that the, the ones, who, the, the followers of such, uh, of, mm, such nonsense, in my estimation, um, they are teaching in our universities, and they are brainwashing our kids to believe that capitalism is evil and socialism is the way of, you know, I mean, they're, they're saying Jesus Christ was a socialist. He was anything but. 
You know, he left it up to the individual. You know, he told the the rich man, you know, you can you can put all your sights on that, but you, you ain't gonna get you know through the needle or whatever it is. See, I, I'm not a churchgoer, so I just hear things. But I, I have listened to some of the stuff he's ever I've read some of the stuff he said, and and you know, it's pretty right on how to live a good life. You know, you, you prioritize, you you focus on the good stuff. And like energy attracts like energy. Yes, I was in, into metaphysics at one time, too. And uh, But it's true. If you're happy, do you ever notice how the people around you that come into your day seem happier, but when you're really pissed off and depressed, you find pissed off and depressed people? It, it's amazing. And you never do get that parking spot if you're mad. But if you're happy and you go, yeah, you get your park. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. The universe is an amazing place, and I have seen enough miracles, having sat in enough AA rooms um, in my time. I have seen enough miracles that I know we all need help from a higher power, whatever that may be for you. And so did our founders. They knew it. They did, and it was, it was it's interesting. I was listening over the weekend uh, to Wall Builders, and they had brought this up because they're gonna they're uh, partnering with a bunch of other organizations to try to bring you know Christianity, Christian beliefs back into the schools and the colleges, and they're really going to be pushing for it this year. And of course, everybody feels better about it because Donald Trump is a Christian. I mean, he just is, and so is his family. And I don't care what anybody says. You guys are you. Prods are idiots, and I feel I'm starting to feel sorry for them because at first I was angry, then I was sad. Now I'm just starting to feel sorry for them. But they had brought up that all of our founding fathers um, had looked into all the different philosophies for their belief systems, for communication between each other, and also for um, the founding documents, which is the Constitution, um, and the Declaration of Independence, which everyone out there needs to start reading again because we're in it. But they all did, most of them, all of them came to the same conclusion, Deb, that Jesus Christ was by far the best philosopher in, on the earth. Yeah. Far none. They believe, and I do too. I do not, I'm sorry, Christians, I do not believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I only believe in God. There's only one God. But he, his philosophy, the Judeo-Christian philosophy, is one that cannot be found anywhere else. You know, and, and we have so much in common with the Jewish people. And Deb and I have pointed out the only other religion that was here besides Christians were Jews never Muslims. We were always fighting with the Muslims. I am so tired of them saying this as well. But the founding fathers said that Jesus Christ's philosophy was the best philosophy there was. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's 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 not necessary. I mean a lot has changed. I'm listening to this wonderful um Theories on YouTube about the early and, and uh, medieval church, and I'm finding out a lot of stuff that I did not know. Um, this, this Ryan Reeves is, is a great. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to to his because it's 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 historical. He doesn't he doesn't tell you what you need to believe. He tells you how the church has developed 
different people with different ideas and thoughts and beliefs and whatnot that came in, and then, you know, the council got together and blah, 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 up through the ages. It's just, you know, it's it's what our journalists should be doing, you know, giving you the facts, ma'am, nothing but the facts. Um, and, and so I'm learning a lot about the, the uh, you know, how it all came about. And uh, God bless my mother for giving me a, a love of, of uh, theology and history and, you know, all wrapped up in one. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's, once you get, you know, anything that gets human beings involved, <laughs> yeah, it's a crapshoot, you know. <laughs> Even our founders, I mean, what was it? It wasn't, uh, was it 12 years after George Washington was made president? I mean, things had already changed. Because there were all these younger people in there. The the original founders and framers had retired or died. And so there was all the, the next generation was coming in. And if you read what Madison um, wrote about that in his later years, and Jefferson and Adams' letters to each other after they made up, uh, you, you will read about that, you know, they discussed how, their original thoughts and, and um, ideas had been already changed. Well, Madison was fighting with the, the, the Congress almost the whole time he was there before he came, became president. I, mean, I know. <laughs> so, I mean, Poor Madison. Uh, My God. Him and Je- Jefferson and him were just like, all right, no freaking way, okay? <laughs> just like, I mean, it got so bad that Jefferson resigned as freaking, um, was it was it vice president at the time? I think so, under John Adams, because John Adams was already starting to do it. Well, John Adams was starting to do it in the beginning. He wanted he wanted George Washington to be, to be called king. And well, people who just couldn't get, let go of the concept of his majesty. Right. That's what they knew. I know. You know, I can understand that because it's such a a pivotal thing, and and you know, Adams, that was really his uh, his whole. I mean, Sam was completely different. You know, it was not going to be a monarch. I'll tell you that right now. We're not going to have any more of that. But you know, John Adams and a couple of others. Um, it, it was like they couldn't let go of that whole majesty thing. You know, they, they they wanted to put him way up here, and that's that's the only thing they could conceive of. But luckily, we didn't get another king, though we've had a couple in the past um, who thought they were. But well, uh, anyway, without further ado, let's get into what the found in their own words, what they thought about Jesus Christ and Christianity. Now. I'm reading from Global Faith Institute, a little uh, introduction, because I like the way that they put this out. And it says, many modern commentators routinely declare that the founders of our nation were not particularly religious, going so far as to describe them as deists, if they had any spiritual inclinations at all. Like most of the left shibboleths, which I have no idea what that is, do you? Do you? Let me see. I, oh, yes. Yes. I will give you the definition in just a minute. I just want to make cool. sure I get it right because, you know, things today. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one is based on entirely cherry-picked phrases and in some cases invented statements. 
And you notice that um, in the beginning of all this, during the Obamanist Caesar's reign, uh, they were touting Jefferson, 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 and they were saying all kinds of quotes from them. Well, I know for a fact that on the Internet and on Twitter, because my husband was involved in this war, we slammed them down. The, the conservatives slammed them down. So they don't even talk about Jefferson anymore, if you've noticed. Yeah. But there was a time that they were just, you know, everything was Jefferson said this, and this, and this, to, to make their cases. Um, but we just we got rid of that. So in the spirit of this glorious season, which was Christmas, um, this writer thought it was appropriate to let you hear from the founding fathers themselves just what they thought about God, Christ, and Christianity. Okay. Did you find the definition? I did. And this is okay. from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It is a word or saying used by adherents of a party, sect, or belief, and usually regarded by others as empty. So it's huh. a belief, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we could talk about the Bolsheviks with that. But anyway, go on. <laughs> okay, so now Deb and I are going to go to this wonderful uh, essay that she found. It's from americasfoundingfathers.wordpress.com. And we're going to go through as much as we can of it um, within the two hours and, and break it down, discuss it. But I'm going to be reading two of the Founding Fathers and what their thoughts, and then Deb will uh, alternate with that as with two more. Um, so a lot of these Founding Fathers, you don't even know and you haven't heard of. Uh, we've talked about a lot of them on the show, but even I was, oh, really? Who was this person? Um, so this is what I liked about it because there's more people than just Thomas Jefferson, Samuel Adams, Thomas Paine. I mean, there's so many people that were involved in the founding of this great nation. It wasn't just one man. It wasn't just one woman. And, and again, since we, even though we're not doing women tonight, just please keep in mind that well, except for a very, very few, I think maybe five men never got married or once they lost their wives, they never remarried. They were all married and married multiple times. So their wives held the same beliefs as they did. So while we're reading them, you think about this. Their wives are teaching this at home. Their children are learning this, this these philosophies, this way of thinking. And it is a good, good way to think. I don't care what anyone else is trying to teach you or teach your children. It's up to you. We have to take this fight on now. And I hope that Deb and I can continue this year with giving you the tools. And at the end of the show, I'll give you some more tools to use in your toolbox. So we're going to start the signers and their faith. Okay, well, let me start at the beginning um, on the title. America's Founding Fathers. Our nation was founded on Christian principles. Let's look at what our leaders through the ages have said concerning the influence of God in the forming of this great nation, the signers and their faith. First one on the list is, and I don't know why they didn't do this alphabetically. That boggled my mind. Didn't it boggle yours? No. Um, it's, you know, let's see. Let's look at, no, it didn't even go by the date. Um, yeah, the, I think if he just kind of found them and put them down, and this is what they said. <laughs> I yeah, I was, I was trying to figure that out, too. So anyway, <laughs> the first one is Samuel Huntington. He was a congressional, con I can't say this word, 
Congregationalist. Thank you. <laughs> Samuel, and, and the good thing about this is that it also shows how involved in politics, how they were statesmen, how they were part of the government. Uh, yeah, no separation of church and state. That's why we're, we're here where we are at. Samuel Huntington was a self-made man who distinguished himself in government on the state and national levels. He was the president of Congress from 1779 to 1781 and presided over the adoption of the Articles of Confederation in 1781. Yes, um, we had presidents before George Washington. Every Continental Congress, and there were many of them, had a president. So George Washington was not the first president. So if you ever um, want to do get somebody on a trivial trivia question, that would be a good one. He returned to Connecticut and was the Chief Justice of the Superior Court in 1784, Lieutenant Governor in 1785, and Governor from 1786 to 1796. He was one of the first seven presidential electors from Connecticut. And this is his quote. <coughs> Excuse me. It becomes a people publicly to acknowledge the overruling hand of divine providence. And that's what they called God. Every time that Deb and I read, and I actually do this also on, on, uh, on cooperative radio, we try to do a bit of history. And uh, you know who's great at this, Deb? Bill, Bill Ferrer from WorldNet Daily. He loves to write articles with the quotes from the, the founding fathers. And um, they, all, they all say divine providence because that's God. Mm -hmm. And their dependence upon the supreme being as the creator and merciful preserver. And with becoming humility and sincere repentance to supplicate pardon that we may obtain forgiveness through the merit and mediation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this was a proclamation for a day of fasting, prayer, and humiliation on March 9th, 1791. Um, let's see. So, so that was Samuel Huntington. Now, I love, this is one of our favorite men that we have done, and his wife, they both were extraordinary. Uh, she was incredible. Um, Roger Sherman, I really, he, he was just good, he was good. And he was a man of science. So this goes to show you as well that they believed that, that science, medicine, was hooked, everything was hooked to God, you know? And it's just a shame how far we've gone from it. I didn't go that far because I went to Catholic church, so, uh, Catholic school until I was in eighth grade. So I was, that, that was my philosophy as well. Everything, God surrounds everything and everything surrounds God and everything comes from God. That's how I was brought up because I went to Catholic school. But we lost all that in the public school. It never used to be like that. It really didn't. I mean, you went to public school. They still had God and you had to say the Pledge of Allegiance and all that, right? He sang the Star Spangled Banner, pledged allegiance to the flag, and had what they called it um, a moment of silence. You know, they, and that was in high school. I don't remember elementary. I'm sure, I know we sat and bowed our heads. Whether they actually called it a prayer or not, I don't know, because you have to remember Massachusetts um, was taken over by the Kennedys. They were Democrats. Yep. But you know what? They were they still had some faith left in them as well. Uh-huh. I mean, I I know I know Rose Kennedy was a devout Catholic. Yes, she was. 
Um, I read a whole book about. I don't that. even get into the Kennedys, honey. I was from Massachusetts, and I. Mm-mm. I don't <laughs> to say about them. Oh, they got a new movie coming out about uh, Edward Teddy. Which will not watch the murderer. Well, they're going to show he's a murderer. I don't, you know, it's not coming out till May, so I have my doubts. <laughs> yeah. That's well, they'll even let it be shown. They should have. Really uh, well, anyways, I, like I said, I don't want to get into the Kennedys because I'll get pissed. Okay, so Roger Sherman was also, uh, con- uh, why can't I say this word? Congrega- congregationalist. <laughs> Roger- That's huh? it. That's it. Okay. Roger Thurman Sherman was a member of the Committee of Five that was chosen to write the Declaration of Independence. He and Robert Morris, that's also a goodie, were the only individuals to sign the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution. He was the judge of the Superior Court of Connecticut from 1766 to 1789, a member of the Continental Congress from 1774 to 1781, which is a really long time, ladies and gentlemen, 1783 and 1784, and a delegate to the Constitution Constitutional, Constitutional Convention in 1787. Sherman proposed the famed Connecticut Compromise at the convention and represented Connecticut in the United States Senate from 1791 to 1793. I'm going to zoom in a little bit. I forgot I could do that, and I'm like squinting. <laughs> now, he says, believe that there is only... Only, no, wait, believe that there is one only living and true God, existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the same in substance, equal in power and glory, that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are a revelation from God and a, and a complete rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him, that he made man at first perfectly holy, that the first man sinned and he was the public head of his posterity. They all became sinners in consequence of his first transgression, are wholly indisposed to that which is good and inclined to evil, and on account of sin are liable to all the miseries of this life, to death and to the pains of hell forever. I believe that God, see, they're, they're not holding themselves higher than anybody else. Um, like our like the cockroaches are doing right now, they all knew that men would be inherently evil if left to their own devices. So that belief came from believing in God, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's see. I believe that God did send his own son to become man, die in the room and dead of sinners, and thus to lay a foundation for the offer, offer of pardon and salvation to all mankind, so as all may be saved who are willing to accept the gospel offer. I believe a visible church to be a congregation of those who make a credible profession of their faith in Christ and obedience to him, joined by the bond of the covenant. I believe that the sacraments of the New Testament are baptism and the Lord's Supper. I believe that the souls of believers are at their death made perfectly holy, and immediately taken to glory. 
that at the end of this world, there will be a resurrection of the dead and a final judgment of all mankind, when the righteous shall be publicly acquitted by Christ the judge and admitted to everlasting life and glory, and the wicked be sentenced to everlasting punishment. And this is from a book of the life of Roger Sherman, but I don't know where, it doesn't say here where he was talking about that. Um, and his beliefs are completely different than when the progs get up on TV and say they believe this and they believe that and they believe this. No. <laughs> All right, so let me see. Um, they really didn't have any, they don't have anything, Deb, if you're looking at this, on what William Williams said. No, but he, he was a Congregationalist and a graduate of Harvard. He studied theology with his father and eventually became a successful merchant. Um, let's see. He signed, uh, he was in the Continental Congress and he signed the Declaration of Independence. And he was uh, on the committee instrumental in framing the Articles of Confederation. And, uh, you know, so... Okay, he was he was another one of of the movers and shakers in getting this. Um, okay, they so they don't have to say, and he wasn't. <laughs> he was right. a congregationalist. He went, to, and if you were a congregationalist, wow. So. Um, okay, why don't you do the next two ones then, Oliver Wolcott and Thomas McKinney. Okay, now Oliver Wolcott. 1726 to 1797, was another congrega congregationalist. Now you got me going. Oliver Walcott was as much a soldier as he was a politician and served as a brigadier general in the New York campaigns from 76 to 77. As a major general, he was involved in defending the Connecticut coast from attacks by the royal governor of New York. He was commissioner of Indian Affairs in 1775 and from 1784 to 89, a delegate to the Continental Congress from 1775, 76, and 7884, lieutenant governor of Connecticut from 86 to 96 and governor from 96 to 97. So he was very busy. He, he, he was a, a soldier as well as a politician, which made him a better person, I think, because, you know, how lawyers and politicians are. Well, anyway, oh, it's just, it's been a while since I've been able to edify. <laughs> Anyways, this is what Oliver had to say. Through various scenes of life, God has sustained me. May he ever be my unfailing friend. May his love cherish my soul. May my heart with gratitude acknowledge his goodness. And may my desires to be to him and to the remembrance of his name. May we then turn our eyes to the bright objects above, and may God give us strength to travel the upward road. May the divine Redeemer conduct us to that seat of bliss which he himself has prepared for his friends, at the approach of which every sorrow shall vanish from the human heart, and endless scenes of glory open upon the enraptured eye. There our love to God and each other will grow stronger, and our pleasures never be dampened by the fear of future separation. How indifferent will it be then be... how? I'm sorry, how indifferent will it then be to us whether we obtain felicity by traveling the thorny or the agreeable paths of life, whether we arrived at our rest by passing through the envied and unfragrant road of greatness or sustained hardships 
and unmerited reproach in our journey, God's providence and support through the perilous, perplexing labyrinths of human life will then forever excite our astonishment and love. May a happiness be granted to those I most tenderly love, which shall continue and increase through an endless existence. Your cares and burdens must be many and great, but put your trust in that God who has hitherto supported you and me, and he will not fail to take care of those who put their trust in him. It is most evident that this land is under the protection of the Almighty and that we shall be saved, not by our wisdom nor by our might, but by the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and almighty in all his operations. This was a letter to um, the delegates. Letters of, this was a letter of the delegates to Congress, January 1st, 1776 uh, through May 15th, 1776. And you can, it's uh, um, in the Library of Congress. Um, 1978. And this is Oliver Walcott to Laura Walcott, his wife, on April 10th, 1776. So, well, that's pretty cool that they that they put that down. So, like we were saying, he wrote this to his wife. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of wonderful letters, and and if I'd had more time, um, I could have found uh, letters that they have digitized on um, archives.gov. But it takes a lot of searching, though, and uh, to find, you know, certain phrases. But um, you can, you the letters, and unfortunately we don't have a lot of the wives' letters because, you know, they were, at, do you know these people? I mean, they weren't, the wives were busy at home raising the kids and taking care of the house or the business or whatever, and, um a lot of them, we've lost a lot of their correspondence, or it's sitting in, like I've said before, sitting in uh, libraries in private collections, or sitting in private collections, you know, in their, uh, the generations, you know, passed down through the generations. So we don't have a lot of it, but you can you can find it. I mean, their their letters are there, and and there's so much like this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've read many that are. You know, both back and forth. You know, may God, you know, put your trust in God, stay strong, and and uh, you know, it's it just that's just what they believe. Okay, Thomas McKean, seventeen thirty-four to eighteen seventeen. He is a Presbyterian. Thomas McKean was the last member of the Second Continental Congress to sign the Declaration of Independence. He was a delegate to the Continental Congress from 74 to 81 and served as a delegate to the Congress of the Confederation from 81 to 83. After 1783, McCain became involved in the politics of Pennsylvania, becoming Chief Justice of Pennsylvania and the Governor of Pennsylvania from 99 to 1812. He retired from politics in 1812 and died at the age of 83 in 1817. Um, in the case Republica versus John Roberts. John Roberts was sentenced to death after a jury found him guilty of treason. Chief Justice McKean then told him, you will probably have but a short time to live. Before you launch into eternity, it behooves you to improve the time that may be allowed you in this world. 
It behooves you most seriously to reflect upon your past conduct, to repent of your evil deeds, to be incessant in prayers to the great and merciful God to forgive your manifold transgressions and sins, to teach you to rely upon the merit and passion of a dear Redeemer, and thereby to avoid those regions of sorrow, those doleful shades where peace and rest can never dwell, where even hope cannot enter. It behooves you to seek the fellowship, advice, and prayers of pious and good men, to be persistent at the throne of grace, and to learn the way that leadeth to happiness. May you, reflecting upon these things and pursuing the will of the great Father of light and life, I love that, being received into the company and society of angels and archangels and the spirits of just men made perfect. And may you be qualified to enter into the joys of heaven, joys unspeakable and full of glory. And this is from um, William B. Reed, Life and Correspondence of Joseph Reed. Which, you know, brings me to a thought of what I read yesterday about Bradley Manning, traitor, uh, running for U.S. Senate, which I, I don't know how he can do that. But anyways, it's upsetting. And, you know, here's this person who was uh, guilty of treason and was going to be killed, sentenced to death. And, um, I mean, that's, that's an incredible thing to to say to someone. It's very... I mean, it's to the point, but it's also very um, kind. Passionate is the word I'm looking for. That was Thomas McKean. Are you done? I am. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now for the, the founders, the founding fathers who didn't. Um, that they don't have anything written down in here. I'm just going to tell you who they are and what religion they were. Because we we're still proving that they, they were all Christians, whether they found their writings or not. So that was Thomas McKeon. And I'm going to read uh, George Reed. He was an Episcopalian. George Reed was the only signer of the Declaration of Independence who voted against the proposal for independence introduced by Richard Henry Lee of Virginia. He was elected to the Continental Congress from 1774 to 1776, was a member of the Delaware Constitutional Convention in 1776, acting governor of Delaware in 1777, a judge on the Court of Appeals in 1780, state senator from 1791 to 1792, a United States Senator from 1789 to 1793, and Chief Justice of the State of Delaware from 1793 to 1798. Now, this is back when the Senators, they they were beholden to the state. The the state legislatures, the governors, and ultimate, well, it started from we the people, electing the legislatures, telling them what to do. Legislatures getting together with the governors, the governors figuring it out by we the people, our our will, not theirs, and then telling the state senators what the hell to do in representing their state. Seventeenth Amendment got rid of that. We don't have that anymore. That's why another reason that we're godless and we're in this predicament. Nobody is beholding to we the people anymore. 
So if you want to do anything with this convention of states that Mark Levin keeps touting, which I think is a complete waste of time because putting more words into the Bill of Rights and more amendments isn't going to fix this. That's, that's why we're where we are because now people can play with the words. What you no, need, we need to do is taken out. We don't need more put in. No, we, that's right. We need like four amendments completely repe- repealed, and that doesn't include Second Amendment people. No. The, 17th, the 16th, 17th, the 14th, and I can think of one more, and I, I'm out of the top of my head. So, But definitely the 17th and 16th, that they got to go. And the 14th is so damn confusing that it needs to go, too. <laughs> we don't need it anymore. It was just there for slavery. We have no more slavery. Therefore, it's no, it's void. Let's get rid of it. All right, so. This is, like I said, I went on this tirade because he was a senator, and he's one of the few ones, the only one we've read so far that was a senator. And the senators were important, but they were beholden to the state. You know, that's why I love that these idiot governors are now going to be senators because uh, I think there's two of them that's going to be uh, have term limits. They're going to run for Senate. The only reason they're running for Senate is for political power. The governors were, are the, the most powerful people in the United States of America, sans we the people. They have more power than the freaking president. But everything is so upside, backwards, down, gosh, away from the Constitution, nobody knows that. There would never be a, sen- a, a governor that would want to be a senator back in the day because they knew they lost their patent. They were like, well, I was already a governor. <laughs> what I mean. So the reason if you ever see anyone that's running for a governor that wants to run for the Congress or the Senate, it's, polit- it's just for the parties. That's it. There's no other reason to go backwards. Because that's what it is, right? That's going backwards. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and you have to re- realize that when the state senator gets to the Capitol, you know, to do their legislating business, it, they only do federal because the state already has their legislators. It should be federal. Right. They were, well, and they were also a barrier to what the federal government could do to the state. Right. They were supposed to protect the states from the federal government. Yeah, they're supposed to be the gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the House, you know, and it's like, well, I think it was Jefferson was talking to Franklin, you know, the teacup and the saucer, and, and Franklin, or uh Jefferson was having tea in, oh, it was Washington or Franklin. I'm sorry. I it, it, just, it just, but anyways, two of the, you know, founders were sitting there. One was Jefferson and the other could have been Benjamin Franklin or Washington. I believe it was Franklin. He said, why did you pour uh, your tea into your saucer from your cup? He says, to cool it down. He goes, exactly. The tea in the cup is the house. And the the tea in your saucer is the Senate, because the House is hot, right directly from the people. And I'm paraphrasing really, really a lot. Um, and he said, but so you send it to the Senate to cool it down, which is exactly right. I mean, you never go with your first knee jerk reaction to anything. You know, because you're just coming off emotions. Hello, Bolsheviks. Um, and which is why they're they're pushing feelings about everything today, because 
feelings are hot and, uh, you know, they usually have bad consequences if you just rush in. So you cool it off in the saucer, i.e. the Senate, which is a great way to live your life, actually, when you think about it. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, so anyway. Yeah, well, they don't do that anymore, folks. No, they don't. All right, so George Reed became the president of the Delaware Constitutional Convention and helped direct the Delaware Constitution of 1776. The following is one of the requirements for public officials. So this is a requirement for a public official in Delaware back in the day. Everyone appointed to public office must say, I do profess faith in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God and blessed forevermore. I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be given by divine inspiration. Half of these people, if they had to do this, they'd, they'd go up in flames. Oh, the atheist little heads would explode. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and, and they've, they've gotten rid of those things because uh, that was Delaware, and Delaware was interesting when it came to religion um, anyways. But... Uh, yeah, they. I mean, that was just one of the things that they did. That was the Delaware Constitution. You notice it's not in the, uh, you know, U.S. Constitution. Because, you know, we got Jews and we have Buddhists and Hindus that might want to become politicians. We have some, in fact. So. <laughs> have a little visitor. Excuse me for a moment while you continue reading the next one. I'm going con- to continue reading. Yes. So, there, uh, Rodney, uh, Caesar Rodney, he was an Episcopalian, and Button Gwinnett, we did him actually, he was an Episcopalian Congregationalist, and that'll take me to Lyman Hall, which has a prayer that he said as well. So, Again, they don't have their sayings or writings in this particular essay, but they all were Christians. All right, Lyman Hall, he was a congressionalist, congregationalist, sorry. Lyman Hall was one of four signers trained as a minister and was a graduate of Princeton College. During his life, he also served as a doctor, governor, and planter. During the Revolutionary War, his property was destroyed and he was accused of treason. He left Georgia and spent time in South Carolina and Connecticut to escape prosecution. When the war was over, he went back to Georgia and began to practice medicine. He served as governor of Georgia from 1783 to 1784. He says, in addition, therefore, to wholesome laws restraining vice, Every encouragement ought to be given to introduce religion and learn clergy to perform divine worship in honor of God and to cultivate principles of religion and virtue among our citizens. Yes, that was one sentence. For this purpose, it will be your wisdom to lay an early foundation for endowing seminaries of learning. Nor can you, I conceive, lay a better than by a grant of a sufficient tract of land that may, as in other governments, hereafter, by lease or otherwise, raise a revenue sufficient to support such valuable institutions. 
So this was a report of the Secretary of the Interior being part of the message and documents communicated to the two houses of Congress at the beginning of the second session of the 54th Congress. Um, again, everything had God in it. So, are you there? I am here now. Okay. So then George Walsh, George Walton, he was an Episcopalian, and Deb can start with Charles Carroll and Samuel Chase. Uh, we like Samuel Chase, too. We like all of them, but we just, you know, some of them we found. When we find their wives, we highlight them, so that's how we know about this. Yes. Yes, because they were, um, so many of them were love relationships. They really loved their wives. And, you know, first, second, third, whichever one it was, they loved these women, them. So that's why we, you know, they were they were a team. Okay, Charles Carroll, 1737 to 1832, was a Catholic. Now, this is very interesting. You have to remember um, that at this time, this, the, the, the 18th century, um, especially after the, the 17th and the 16th centuries with all the uh, uh, religious wars that went on in, in England and Europe um, between the Catholics and the Protestants. Uh, the Catholics ended up in Maryland. Maryland was pretty much um, the only place that had Catholics because a lot of the well, like the Calvinists, um, the heavy-duty Protestant religions uh, um, kind of looked on Catholics as, well, a cult. They, they didn't trust them at that time, um, which, you know, they were like 50 years away from, 50, 75 years away, what, a couple well, their great-grandfathers might have fought, you know, against, depending on their religions, you know. And I've also been, um, I, I, I've also been listening to uh, lectures on religious wars that happened in the two centuries before the 18th century. This is, it's just really fascinating stuff, and, and it gives you a great insight into how and why so many things were done and said and written into documents. Okay, so he uh, was one of the wealthiest men in America and was the oldest and longest surviving signer of the Declaration. From 1789 to 92, he served as one of Maryland's two United States senators. He retired from politics in 1804 and spent the rest of his life managing his 80,000 acres of land in Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York. Wow. And he says, I, Charles Carroll, give and bequeath my soul to God who gave it, my body to the earth, hoping that through and by the merits, sufferings, and mediation of my only Savior in Jesus Christ, I may be admitted into the kingdom prepared by God for those who love, fear, and truly serve him. And this is from Kate Mason Rowland's Life of Charles Carroll of Carrollton. And that was in his will. The first thing he did was bequeath his soul to God. 
before getting to the the earthly, earthly property. Okay, now Samuel Chase, 1741 to 1811, he was Episcopalian. Samuel Chase was called the I have such a hard time with Greek words um, because I never get the, I never say it correctly, Demosthenes, I'm sure I did not say that right, of Maryland for his oratorical skills. In 1785, he represented Maryland at the Mount Vernon Conference to settle a dispute between Maryland and Virginia concerning navigation rights on the Potomac River. He served as an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court from 96 to 1811. He was the only Supreme Court Justice to be impeached in 1805. He was charged with discriminating against supporters of Thomas Jefferson, and he was found to be not guilty. Now, does this ring a bell? Hello? Hello? Politics has, has not changed um, because politicians are human beings. Politics are of human nature. So when, you know, everybody's tearing out their hair about how horrible it is today, and it is, it's rude, it's, it's you know, derogatory and, and nasty, and people are lying and cheating and leaking and, and everything, but it, it, we're not the first generation to do this. <laughs> I mean, it's been going on as long as there's been lawyers and politicians, if not before. So, okay. Anyways, he was found not to be guilty. Case of Runkle versus Weinmiller, 1799, Justice Chase gave the court's opinion. Religion is of general and public concern, and on its support depend in great measure the peace and good order of government, the safety and happiness of the people. By our form of government, the Christian religion is the established religion, and all sects and denominations of Christians are placed upon the same equal footing and are equally entitled to protection in their religious liberty. I meant to look this up because I wanted to see what it was about. I mean, you know, when you think about the the um, the differences that they, they did have, um, I mean... Quakers protested the Puritans in Massachusetts. And what they did was to make their point because they thought the Quakers were very intolerant, which uh, not the Quakers, the, the Puritans were very intolerant, which they were, and they, they really put the kibosh on anything fun. The Quakers wanted them, I guess, <laughs> to loosen up. So I don't know, but they walked down the streets in front of the houses of the Puritans, stark-ass naked. So um, there's always been somebody upset by somebody else, and then they go and do something to upset that other person. I mean, nothing like religion and politics to get your fur up, right? So anyway, but it is. It's it's we're. Yeah, I mean, it says the Christian religion is the established religion, and that does not mean government established. It's just that Christians came over here and started building. 
and they made churches. There was a lot of them. And they were all equally entitled to protection, which meant you couldn't go out and, you know, beat up and kill a Catholic if you were a Protestant and vice versa. Because Okay, so we're up to William Packer. Deb? Yes, I'm sorry. That's okay. All right, so I'm up. William Packer. All right, he was an Episcopalian. Thomas Stone, he was also Episcopalian. Episcopalian. And we're coming up to John Adams, who was a con uh, Congregationalist, um, which I don't think I ever read that before. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I thought we thought he was a Puritan. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, the Puritans kind of went away more so. Um, they changed, they evolved into the Congregationalists. And, I mean, Puritans were a sect, a, a, a distinct sect. Uh -huh. You have to remember, when they came, when they were facing persecution, it wasn't long after uh, Luther had, you know, started the, Re the Reformation, which was in the 1500s. Uh, you know, Mary, Mary, uh, Bloody Mary there, who got on the throne after Edward died, um, she was Catholic. Edward was extremely Protestant. Now, in the, in the 1500s, this is when the wars were happening between the Protestants and the Christians. And so you have to realize that the Puritans were a certain sect because they didn't, I mean, they were, they were um, you know, more extreme than than Calvin. This is where you have to get in and know your different um, people and and religious chapters, because Puritans are just what their their name implied. They believed that they the Bible should be read as it was. They didn't need any of this, uh, you know, priest and pope stuff. And, and nobody came in between you and God because they, they want it pure from the Bible. That's how they wanted to, re, to worship, purely from the Bible. And that upset a lot of the people, especially the Catholics. And um, you have to remember that the, the Church of England was just one step down from, from being Catholic. The only thing Henry VIII got rid of was the Pope, and he made himself head of the church. He kept right. all the Catholic stuff. Right. So, yeah, it, he, they were puritanical, you know, more so religious-wise, but that's congregationalist. Gotcha. Okay, so John Adams was the first vice president of the United States and the second president. He was a member, along with Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Livingston, Robert and Robert Sherman, chosen to draft the Declaration of Independence. He was the first president to attend Harvard University and the first to have a son become president. 
Don Quincy Adams was awesome. <laughs> he was a very extraordinary, even as a child, he was extraordinary. I mean, he went to Russia to be a, an ambassador when he was in his teens. Yeah, yeah, his father took him, uh, well, even when he was younger, he went with his father to certain places as his clerk. Mm-hmm. And he was much younger than, I mean, what, God, how old was he, 12 when he went to Russia? Yeah, I he, think so. I think he was 15, but he went in, in years before he had gone with his father. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think he was like 9 or 10 when he first left yeah. Abigail. Mm-hmm. She was very upset, but, you know. Yes. <laughs> that was a little, little boy. Okay, so this is what John Adams says. The Holy Ghost carries on the whole Christian system in this earth. Not a baptism, not a marriage, not a sacrament can be administered but by the Holy Ghost. There is no authority, civil or religious. There can be no legitimate government but what is administered by this Holy Ghost. There can be no salvation without it. All without it is rebellion and perdition, or in more orthodox words, damnation. That was a letter from John Adams to Benjamin Rush from Quincy, Massachusetts. All right. Um, We're going to change this up a little bit. This is your favorite guy, so why don't you do Samuel Adams? Okay. Well, actually, I I did too anyway, so it'll work. Well, I'll do... uh... And do we ever figure out whether it's Gary or Jerry <laughs> for Eldridge? It, it's uh, Eldridge Gary. Gary? Okay. Because yeah. Brian, when he had heard us do it and they had, uh, when they did the Patriots pub, he had, you know, a couple things to say. So he's like, it's not Jerry, it's Gary. I'm like, okay, okay, it's Gary. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't know because, you know, I, it could be anything. All right, first of all, Samuel Adams, one of my heroes. 1722 to 1803, he was a Congregationalist. Well, yes, because he was in Massachusetts. Samuel Adams was known as the firebrand of the revolution for his role as an agitator between the colonists and the British prior to the outbreak of hostilities on April 1775. Why, yes, he was um, he was happening for 10 years before that, even more so. He served in the Continental Congress until 1781 and was a member of the Massachusetts State Senate from 81 to 88. Because he was opposed to a stronger national government, Adams refused to attend the Constitutional Convention in 1787. I wish he had. He served as Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts from 1789 to 1793 and Governor from 1794 to 1797. I really wish he had been at the convention he could have spoke up some. I'm sure um, John was glad he wasn't. <laughs> I conceive we cannot better express ourselves than by humbly supplicating the supreme ruler of the world that the confusions that are and have been among the nations may be overruled by the promoting and speedily bringing in the holy and happy period when the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be everywhere established and the people willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the Prince of Peace. Isn't that lovely? I mean, what a, well, don't we wish? You know, it's it's amazing, too, because he actually was a pirate. But he still believed in God. (laughs) Well, now, you have to remember, you have to remember that 
the the what you call a private was really or a pirate was really a privateer, and that was because of the taxes that the crown laid upon and Parliament laid upon the colonists, and and how they restricted their trade. Um, they couldn't make a profit. I mean, John Hancock said, if I pay all these tariffs and and whatnot that you lay on my imports and exports, I can't make a profit. But it's because, you know, George III came into uh, the monarchy from George II who basically emptied the treasury on, on a lot of wars. I mean, you got to remember, England was fighting against Spain and France, and they were over in the West Indies, and, I mean, it was, they were very busy. They they didn't, and George II, he just wanted to go about his business. He didn't really want to rule, but George III came in and decided he was going to uh, make the monarchy a bit stronger, and he wanted to fill up his treasury. And it wasn't just the American colonies that the parliament taxed. It was other colonies, too. But well, um, he had seen what his father, George III had seen what his father was doing. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, he he just he came in, and, and, and there was no money in the treasury, and the French and Indian War had just ended, and you know he went came in and went, oh my God, I've got to clean this mess up. Okay, and even though we like George the Third, this is the same stuff that our President Donald Trump had to inherit. Yeah, a mess. George the Third, I mean, he had a good. He had a good reason. He had a country to take care of. I mean, I, I think this, you know, the sun never sets on on England, or was that Rome? But anyways, it, it just, you know, this, this them going and having colonies all over the place, um, you know, it just, uh, I, I think they took it a bit too far, but they were very arrogant people. Um, but, you know, he, he came in, he had a mess. <laughs> so... You know, and you bringing up what um, you bringing up what um, John Hancock had said is exactly what Donald and, and ladies and gentlemen. I know this is a history show, but we are we purposely do this because we are right now in the Revolutionary War. It's not bloody yet, but we're definitely in it, and we have to contrast what was going on back then to what was going on what's going on now because we didn't learn our history, so we're we're repeating it. We're in the late 1760s, heading so, into 1770s. Basically. So we're repeating it right now. And yeah. Donald Trump, that's exactly what he did with getting rid of regulations. This tax cut, which I don't agree 100%, maybe I agree like 50%. They should have just went to a flat tax. Uh, they're so afraid of liberty, it isn't even funny. Everybody is. Because that's what a flat tax would do. You pay 10%. It doesn't matter if you make $10,000 or $100 million. You still pay 10%. Done. That's done on a postcard, uh, Paul Ryan, you moron. I know. Um, But they owe so many people that, you know, they're bought and paid for. Yep. But anyway, um, that's what he's trying to do because, again, all this taxation, all this regulation, and believe me, regulation is law. It is just as bad as taxation. You might as well be taxing us with the regulations, the same thing. But, if, I mean, our founding fathers went through all this. They knew this. It, it was stupid. They knew about a free market, and so does Donald Trump as much as he possibly can. Um, 
That's the only thing that works. Uh, I don't even call capitalism capitalism anymore because it's a Stalinist, um, what do you call it, concept that he invented to slam the free market. So even, look, look at how far back John Hancock's like, I can't make a profit. I can't hire people. This is nothing new, right? Nothing new, Deb, nothing new. And you should know this because you own a small business. Right. Yeah, we we um, you know, when you you when you uh, you hire someone to come in and fix something in your house, and they give they hand you a bill ninety five dollars an hour, um, and you know you're looking at at it going, whoa, labor's ninety five dollars an hour. Well, the thing is, the sad part is, is the guy doing the work is probably only getting 15 18 bucks an hour out of that 95 because the rest is taken from matching anything taken out of his paycheck you know social security fica um what's the other one god i ah, can't think but anyways there's like the the employer has to match what the government takes from the employee so they take it from the business as well as the employee. Then there's, you know, workman's comp. Then there's liability insurance, auto insurance if he's driving, um, and and uh, health care and tools and supplies and the overhead. So it's sad to say, but it, you pay an employee 15 bucks an hour, it costs you 45 as an employer. I mean, they don't see that in their check. We give you $15 an hour as the employee, and we give the government everything that they took out of your your uh, check. Yep. So, this is nothing new under the sun, and... Uh, we just got a little bit of a reprieve. Not uh, the war is not over. <laughs> oh, not by a long shot. We just begun. All right. So good old Sam Adams, and now you're going on to Elbridge Gary. Elbridge Gary, 1744 to 1814, was an Episcopalian. Eldridge Gary served for. For a time as a member of the state legislature of Massachusetts, although he attended the meetings in Philadelphia to write a new constitution, at the end he was opposed to it because it lacked a bill of rights. However, after a change of heart, he was a member of the House of Representatives for the first two Congresses from 89 to 93. He was governor of Massachusetts in 1810 and 11 and died in office as vice president under James Madison in 18. 14. With one heart and voice, we may prostrate ourselves at the throne of heavenly grace and present to our great benefactor sincere and unfeigned thanks for his infinite goodness and mercy towards us from our birth to the present moment for having above all things illuminated us by the gospel of Jesus Christ, presenting to our view the happy prospect of a blessed immortality. And this was his proclamation for a day of thanksgiving and praise, October 24th, 
Okay, so next is John Hancock. He was a Congregationalist. John Hancock was the president of the Second Continental Congress when the Declaration of Independence was adopted. He, along with Samuel Adams, were the two most wanted men in the colonies by King George III, and we've highlighted both of their wives. He served as a major general during the Revolutionary War. He was elected governor of Massachusetts from 1780 to 1785 and 1787 until his death in 1793. He was the seventh president of the United States in Congress assembled from November 23, 1785 to June 6, 1786. John Hancock was one of the original fathers of U.S. independence. And he called on the entire state to pray that universal happiness may be established in the world and that all may bow to the scepter of our Lord Jesus Christ and the whole earth be filled with his glory. And this was also a proclamation for a day of public thanksgiving in 1791. They did this quite often, by the way. Okay, now this is my favorite guy. Robert Treat Payne, and the reason he was my favorite guy is because he was an atheist. He did not believe in a supreme being for a very long time, and he wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> and then he went to France during the French Revolution, and he was thrown in jail. But before being thrown in jail, he saw that revolution, and he had a revelation of his own and became a devout Christian. No, 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 that's not this pain. This is another pain. Oh, this isn't pain? Thomas no. Paine. This is Thomas Paine. This is Robert Paine. I'm thinking of Thomas. You're thinking of Thomas, yes. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but I like Thomas <laughs> very much because of that. And I love it because you know that, that that his name was Thomas Dev, and you remember Doubting Thomas? Yes. From the Bible? <laughs> He's my favorite apostle. Oh, my God. All right, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's the story of Thomas Paine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Robert Treat Paine was a, congr- a Congregationalist Unitarian. He was elected to the Continental Congress in 1774 and 1776, Attorney General for Massachusetts from 1777 to 1796, Judge, Supreme Court of Massachusetts from 1796 to 1804, and State Counselor in 1804. During his time in Congress, Payne concentrated primarily on military and Indian concerns. Because of his opposition, position to many proposals, he was known as the objection objection maker. Payne was one of the original founders of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is not supposed to be funded by the federal government. He said, I am constrained to express my adoration of the supreme being, the author of my existence, in full belief of his providential, providential goodness and his forgiving mercy related to the world through Jesus Christ, through whom I hope for never-ending happiness in a future state. And this is from the last, from his last will and testament. All right. Um, you're up to Joshua Bartlett. Isaiah. Is it Josiah. to impose 
Is it Josiah? Yeah. I always get those two confused, Josiah and Joshua. No, this is Josiah, 1729-1795. He was a Congregationalist. Josiah Bartlett served in Congress until 1779 and then refused re-election because of fatigue. On the state level, he served as the first Chief Justice of the Common Pleas from 79 to 82, Associate, 82 to 88, and Chief Justice of the Superior Court, 88 to 90. Bartlett founded the New Hampshire Medical Society in 1791 and was governor of New Hampshire in 1793 and 94. And he said, uh, as the proclamation for a day of fasting and prayer in 1792, called on the people of New Hampshire to confess before God their aggravated transgressions and to implore his pardon and forgiveness through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, that the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ may be made known to all nations, pure and undefiled religion universally prevail, and the earth be filled with the glory of the Lord. There you go. Okay, let's see. Okay, so Matthew Thornton was a Presbyterian. William Whipple was a Congregationalist. And Deb's going to read Abraham Clark. Yes, 1726, 1794, Presbyterian. Abraham Clark was a farmer, surveyor, and politician who spent most of his life in public service. He was a member of the New Jersey State Legislature, represented his state at the Annapolis Convention in 1786, and was opposed to the Constitution until it incorporated incorporated a Bill of Rights. He served in the United States Congress for two terms from 1791 until his death in 1794. Now, you have to to realize from listening to this that our our people, the people that showed up at the conventions, um, any of them, right from the beginning, there was a lot of disagreement because it was basically like 13 different separate countries coming together. I mean, they were all sovereign uh, colonies, and uh, a lot of them had never met each other. They'd been corresponding, but they had never met in person. Uh, And so when they got together, I mean, it was. It was as if, yeah, they spoke the same language, and and they were all, you know, Christian, but it was as if they came from different countries, and they all had their own ideas on how things should be. Um, they just didn't sit around, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya, I'll tell you that. There was some pretty harsh things said. So anyways, he says, Our fates are in the hands of an almighty God, to whom I can with pleasure confide my own. He can save us or destroy us. His counsels are fixed and cannot be disappointed, and all his designs will be accomplished. Oh, what a wonderful phrase. All his designs will be accomplished. That will be a great day. Okay. So, let's see. How many more do we have? Oh, there are so many. You can go on and on. and We're not going to make it to the end, I don't think. Oh, oh no, we're not. <laughs> There's a whole bunch more. It was everyone that was part of this process, every single Continental Congress. I know. I know. Oh. And there was a lot of people in the in different continental congresses. They they switched over every dang year. Ah, they did, yeah. And and some went, you know, from the Congress to the the battlefield, and others came from the battlefield to Congress after they were done with the battlefield. So. 
Or they went home and became a farmer. Well, like many of these, they went and became um, judges and yep. governors and senators. and. I know. they. they well, they were... Oh, my God. You know, a lot of times it wasn't by their choice. They were asked to do so, you know, kind of begged. <laughs> please, please, will you take this position? But Jesus, uh, Thomas Jefferson, talked, we talked about him all the time. He wasn't even, like, in the same country and they were nominating him. I know. Uh, he was over in France doing that whole revolution. But, which he and found, he was, he got a letter like three months later that said, you know, you've been nominated for this post in Virginia. And it's like, dude, I'm in the country. <laughs> Look at poor George Washington. My God. Twelve years and uh, or however long it was. How long was it? Eight years? Twelve years in between wars. Yeah, eight years. Yeah, and and he just wanted to go home. He wanted to go home to Martha. <laughs> Suddenly, he's becoming president. Oh, I'm going to have to tell you uh, when we get up the air something horrible that I just saw on a sitcom, which I, I kind of don't like. My husband likes it better than me, but I got to tell you what this woman said. I was just like, oh, gosh, are you kidding me? Anyway, uh, where are we up to? John Hart? Yes. All right. I know. All right, so John Hart was a Presbyterian. He became the Speaker of the Lower House of the New Jersey State Legislature. His property was destroyed by the British during the course of the Revolutionary War, and his wife died three months after the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. During the ravaging of his home, Hart spent time in the Sourland Mountains in exile. Now, I like that they said this because you have to keep in mind, every single person we're talking about is already uh, convicted of treason. They're, they're treasonous British citizens. And they're still looking to God for their guidance, their strength, their prosperity, their, their uh, victory over the oppression, their victory to find freedom. The whole time we're reading them, them and their families can be hung or shot at any time. So his home is completely ravaged. He's got to go out and hide. And this is what he says. This is in his last will and testament. After all the stuff that happened to him, thanks be given unto Almighty God, therefore, and knowing that it is appointed for all men once to die, and after that judgment, Hebrews 9.27 principally, I give and recommend my soul into the hands of Almighty God, who gave it and my body to the earth to be buried in a decent and Christian-like manner, to receive the same again at the general resurrection by the almighty power of God. That, that is a faith that, I don't know. <laughs> so many times I've prayed to God, why are you doing this? Or show me the lesson. And these Wonderful founding mothers and fathers never lost faith, ever, no matter what happened to them. And the other thing is, even though there was a civil war and loyalists were pit against patriots, they still were Christians. They still had that one thing in common. 
They all believed in God. That is not how it is in the United States of America right now at all. Thank you, Planned Parenthood. All right, so Francis Hopkins was Episcopalian, and you can do Richard Stockton. I don't know if we did his, him and his wife. It sounds familiar. Yes, we did. Okay, that's what I thought. Oh, and then you can do John Witherspoon. We liked him, too, him and his wife. His wife was amazing. All the wives were amazing we've done. Even the loyalist wives. <laughs> we were an amazing people. My mouse has decided to become paralyzed. Wait a minute. Let me see if... Uh... Okay. Are you going to work? I think I need a new battery. Okay. Richard Stockton. Uh, Presbyterian. Um, Richard Stockton was trained to be a lawyer and graduated from the College of New Jersey. He was elected to the Continental Congress in 1776 and was the first of the New Jersey delegation to sign the Declaration of Independence. In November 1776, he was captured by the British and was eventually released in 77 in very poor physical condition. His home at Morven was destroyed by the British during the war, and he died in 1781 at the age of 50. And as he says in his will, as my children will have frequent occasion of perusing this instrument and may probably be particularly impressed with the last words of their father, I think it proper here not only to subscribe to the entire belief of the great and leading doctrines of the Christian religion, such as the being of God, the universal defection and depravity of human nature, the divinity of the person and the completeness of the redemption purchased by the blessed Savior, the necessity of the operations of the divine spirit, of divine faith, accompanied with a habitual virtuous life, and the excuse me, universality of the universality of of the divine providence. But also in my bowels of a father's affection to exhort and charge my children that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that the way of life held up in the Christian system is calculated for the most complete happiness that can be enjoyed in this mortal state, and that all occasions of vice and immorality are injurious either immediately or consequently, even in this life. His will dated May 20th, 1780. What wonderful uh, advice in his will, because he knew his children would read it quite often. <laughs> I love that part. I know you'll be looking at this quite a bit. <laughs> I think he had probably had a good sense of humor. <laughs> okay. John Witherspoon. He was also a Presbyterian. John Witherspoon was the only active clergyman among the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was elected to the Continental Congress from 1776 and 1782, elected to the state legislature of New Jersey from 83 to 89, and was the president of the College of New Jersey from 68 to 92. Isn't that what the, yeah, in his later years, he spent a great deal of time trying to rebuild the College of New Jersey, which became Princeton. That's what I thought. Yeah, that. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, he was. Uh, him and his wife were uh, 
redid the whole Princeton College, and Princeton used to be a, a Christian college. All the colleges were. It was. Um, my mom went to Westminster Choir College. She was going to become an opera singer before the war, and uh, it was right near Princeton. So um, uh, she she knew she knew what the guys were like in Princeton in the forties. <laughs> Well, the other thing, too, is when we had highlighted his wife, they came from Scotland, and she didn't want to leave. And then when she came, and he wanted to. I mean, he, he was one of the people who declared he was on a, when he got to the American shores, he was an American. He wasn't going back. He was going to do the great things for America. And then she just finally was like, you know, this really is a really great place. <laughs> True to like us, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what he says and this is from the works of John Witherspoon uh, from 1815. This is from his Sermon 15, The Absolute Necessity of Salvation Through Christ. It was given in 1758. No matter, oh, no man, whatever be his character or whatever be his hope, shall enter into rest unless he be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So that would be the Presbyterian. Clergyman. There, and then we have uh, William Floyd. He was another one who had his estate destroyed by the British. He was a president. Um, Francis Lewis was an Episcopalian, and Philip Livingston was a Presbyterian. And uh, now. Now, look at this, Deb. All of these different sects of Christianity, all coming together, and I say this over and over and over and over again on the show, for one reason. No matter what background, where, how, how wealthy, how poor, whatever was happening in their home, in their town, the one thing that brought everyone together was the call of freedom. Didn't matter their background, didn't matter their color. I mean, there was there were blacks fighting with whites against the British. There were Indians fighting with whites against the British. But they all did it for freedom. Well, I don't know what the Indians had different all different reasons, but um, I know the blacks and the and the whites they were all doing it for freedom. We do not have that in this country. We have no commonality. And they and the progs and the politicians did this on purpose, which makes it even more insidious and more evil. And we let it happen. All right. Philip Livingston, he was a Presbyterian. Presbyterian was not in Philadelphia to vote on the resolution for independence, but did sign the actual Declaration of Independence on August 2nd, 1776. During the Revolutionary War, the British used Livington's houses in New York as a Navy hospital and a barracks for the troops. Now, that was wonderful. He was the third signer to die after John Morton of Pennsylvania and Button Gwinnett of Georgia. Uh, in the book, Lives of the Signers to the Declaration of Independence, 
Reverend Charles A. Goodridge states that Philip Livingston was a firm believer in the great truth of the Christian system and a sincere and humble follower of the divine redeemer. And Lewis Morris was an Episcopalian. John Hughes was a Quaker and then Episcopalian. I don't know how you could do that. Um, you leave the uh, you leave the Quaker religion. You you give it up, and then you go into the Unitarian Church. I think it was because of his wife. If I remember correctly. Oh yeah, that's right. What they find if they sign if they. If they marry outside of their religion, they're no longer Quakers. That was one of the few religions that was like that. Quaker was very strict that way. The other thing that we were talking about with wall builders, and sometimes Brian, my husband, when we listen to something, he just really doesn't hear the same thing that I do that the people are saying. They were talking about Benjamin Franklin, and he was, Brian got very upset because he said that, well, they're describing him like he's a deist. And I'm like, no, they just, just said he wasn't a, an outspoken Christian. That's the only thing that Barton said. He was not an outspoken Christian. And Barton's like, he was the one that said we have to go and get a priest in the first session. And this, this, this. I said, yeah, but that doesn't mean he's an outspoken. Look, John Dickerson is an outspoken Christian, right? He was an outspoken Quaker. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? They were just saying that that John, that Benjamin Franklin was. They didn't say he was a deist. They never used those words. They didn't say he wasn't religious. They never used those words. They all they also said that he believed in on Jesus Christ's teachings. They, he just was not an outspoken uh, Christian. And my husband had a my husband had a meltdown. I said, you know what? I said he was a Quaker. I said, he, that's what he was born into, the Quakers. I said, and he ran away when he was like 15, 16 years old. I said, did you even know that? Because we did, uh, um, Benjamin, and I forget his wife's name. I can't believe I forgot her name. Um, wife? Yeah. Deborah. All right. I know you wouldn't forget. It's your name. <laughs> we're both, today we're both a little giddy. We were talking earlier, and, and neither one of us could pronounce words. <laughs> so do do be patient with us. We we have very active lives. Yeah, yeah, too active. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. I mean, the same thing with Thomas Jeff uh, with uh, Thomas Jefferson, and they always try to to bring that up. No, he just wasn't outspoken about it. I mean, he and he did a lot of it in his writing. So did Benjamin Franklin. They just didn't, they weren't Bible-pounding. That's the point. And he just had a complete meltdown. I couldn't believe in God. I'm like, they didn't say that. Okay. They had very curious minds. They were both scientifically bent. I mean, Jefferson invented a whole bunch of things. I mean, good Lord, you see what's in his house. Um, some of the things that he came up with, um, you know, he invented the rocking chair. And... Uh, and then some of the, the parts of his house that he designed, um, his machines. Um, was it Jefferson that, that did the copier? Yeah, made the first copy machine, yeah. Yeah, where you wrote on one paper and the pen wrote on the, uh, the other pen wrote on the other paper. Um, yep. I mean, this, he was just bent. It's like, Christ, he took, he took all, of, he made his own little Bible of all of Jesus' sayings. I mean, he just cut out everything from Jesus uh, and put it 
together. He he was so inquisitive, which I can relate to because when I was, you know, I first started my spiritual path, oh, my God, I have been to more churches. I have been to synagogues. I have been to retreats. I have been to monasteries. I have been to Buddhist temples. Um, you know, it, it just in my search. And uh, it, it's like you listen, you, you, and, and I read, I read, oh, my God, I, I reading everything, you know, from Gnostic to, uh, to uh, you know, um, Catholic, because I was raised a Protestant, so, you know, the Catholics were, they were just so fascinating to me. And, anyway, you know, you sound exactly like my husband. He did the same yeah. exact thing. He was in a monastery. He was a full-blown monk. Um, but he did the same thing. He has explored every single solitary religion. He said the most disgusting one he ever read was the Koran, and he read it from front to back. Yeah. And he read the Torah, and we had the Kamash, and he, like I said, did the same thing. Even when he was young, he was in military school in Pennsylvania. He went to this little town. He said they must have had like 10 churches. He went to every single church, and he was a little kid. He was like 12 years old. And he went to a Baptist church, and the little black woman came up to him and said, Tom, what you doing in here? Because <laughs> there's this little white boy in the middle of a black Baptist church. And he said, I'm trying to find the best church to go to. Yeah, my mother, my mother, when she lived in New York City, went to a lot of uh, Baptist. Well, she was raised Baptist, so she found the she found the uh, the the Baptist church with the best gospel singing. Right, that's what Brian did too. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you sing so good. It looks it's so much fun here. <laughs> yeah, she loved, loved gospel music. Um, Mahalia Jackson was one of her favorites and and she would just she would go to the the church where they had the best gospel music. You know, that's what's so sad too, since we're talking about religion and we're talking about history. That these poor and now again I'm starting to like just feel sorry for them because number one, they're all gonna go to hell. They're all going to hell. It's, it's just they're not even gonna pass they're not even gonna pass go and get two hundred dollars. They're just going straight to hell. Um, but these black people, they don't even know their uh, own history. I mean, they invented gospel music. They became Christians when they came over here. Um, they learned to read and write. They would have never learned to read and write if they stayed in Africa, ever. You know, and they don't even know this about themselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really yeah. sad. It's it's sad that um, they are so focused on that when they're still slaves in Africa and the Middle East because of the Muslim religion. Um, in fact, during the uh, during the 18th century, the 17th century, the Muslims were were taking and and, and before when they invaded um, Europe, they took white Europeans as slaves. Yep. Oh, slavery's been around forever, and it's horrible, and the fact that it is still going on is despicable. 
But, yeah, well, uh, the first slaves of the Jewish people, they were first chattel slavery. They were enslaved for 400 years. These right. people didn't need to get over it. Yeah, and and um, it's, it's, there's a lot more. It's, you know, it's like, look out, look out of your, your little world um, and, and see that others have gone through horrendous things, too, maybe worse than you did. Well, I just I found something on Benjamin. I found a quote in this uh, essay on Benjamin Franklin, and I just want to read it to everybody because everyone knows who he is. Yes. Okay, so this is what he said. And this is from the works of Benjamin Franklin. As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion as he left them to us is the best the world ever saw or is likely to see. Yeah. Take that, everybody who thinks he was a deist in it. it he, because they all, like I said earlier in the show, they thought the philosophy, whether you believe Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior or not, he has and still has the best philosophy the world had ever known. Well, this is the thing. It's not as above that he was an Episcopalian and a, and a deist. But, um, you know, the thing is, the thing is, is people change. As, as you, as you, especially if you're curious, like these, you know, like Jefferson. I mean, if you read Jefferson's uh, writings throughout his life, you know, you're talking like five, eight, six different people in what he wrote. And that's just the way it was. I mean, these people, these certain people were very, very curious and they, they explored a lot of avenues. And And I don't know if Jefferson and Franklin ever sat down and wrote, I am a deist, you know. Because um, they, they, they weren't. <laughs> you know, if they did, so what? That was then... What did they die as? You know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They believed in God. Absolutely. And this is this was the endeavor of this story. And she, Debbie, was so right. There are so many uh, still in this essay, which we are not going to get to. But I'm glad we gave you. Um, an oversight, and I actually found a quote from Thomas Jefferson in this, and it says, quote from Thomas Jefferson, the writings of Thomas Jefferson, I am a real Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, come on, people. Yeah, it's it's, I mean, in every, you know, the reason that there are so many, there's just not one Christian church. You know, there's many, many, many denominations. And then there's there's um, splits within the, like the Baptists. There's a whole bunch of different Baptists. There's a whole bunch of different Protestants. There's a whole bunch of different, you know, there's the Calvinists, the Congregationalists, the 
the Methodists, the Lutherans, the the ba- Baptists, the Southern Baptists, which hmm. yeah, there's a reason. There's a saying: there are many ways to get to God. Well, and then not only that, but people don't all agree on the same thing. And this is what is so troubling about the, what's going on in this country right now is that there is such um, uh, op- op- uh, opposition to having a different viewpoint, thought, opinion, belief, then the person talking to you. They will cut you down. They will take you out. They will ruin you because you have a different viewpoint, perspective, opinion, thought, belief. Well, and this is really cool. This is a quote by Richard Henry Lee, uh, who was an Episcopalian, and he introduced the resolution for independence to the Second Continental Congress in 1776. Um he was officially opposed to the Constitution because it lacked the Bill of Rights, but many of our founding fathers did. But he was elected senator from Virginia, uh, was elected senator from Virginia from 1789 to 1792. And then he was in poor health, so he had to resign. But during the Constitutional Convention, this is what he said. And I'm gonna, I think I'm going to take this and post it on, the blo- on my blog. It is true we are not disposed to differ much at present about religion. But when we are making a constitution, it is to be hoped for ages and millions yet unborn. Why not establish the free exercise of religion as a part of the national compact? Yeah, he was. I would love, love to read that in front of the Senate and the Congress. Mm-hmm. Get right up in Nancy Pelosi's face, the fake Catholic. That is so profound. But when yeah. we are making a constitution, it is ho- to be hoped for ages and millions yet unborn. They were looking to us, Deb. Yeah. They were looking yeah. out for us. Right. Well, that's what the whole constitution was about. It was. It was basically we know what did Madison say if we if we were all angels we wouldn't need a government, um, and 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 Franklin knew you know he was a great study uh, student of human nature, um, and and he knew that we were on precarious ground going in this direction. He and a lot of them knew that from you know. The, Knowing their history and human nature, oh, we can screw things up. The corrupt and the greedy, and and if you don't stay awake and on top of it, they will come in, they will sweet talk you, and they will take every penny you have, and leave you know slime all over you, um, which is what we have now. They knew that. That's why they gave us the Constitution and the Bill of Rights which they didn't even want to do because they didn't want to limit us in any way, shape, or form. They had to make some concessions. Uh, The Constitution is not a perfect document, but we are not a perfect entity. Well, we're coming to the end of the show, and I pray to God that Deb and I will have a little calmer life and be able to do the show um, 
on a regular basis on Monday, on Mondays. But I will tell you, let me see. Okay. The 29th, which is the week after next, I will not be able to do the show because I will be visiting my family and my father, who just turned 80 this year. I haven't seen them in 13 years. And I pray to God that everything goes smoothly and that I do see them. Um, we may be able to do it in the beginning of February, but Debo and I will have to talk about that at that time because I won't be back until the 3rd of February, which is a Saturday. So um, hopefully for next, we'll do another show next week. We're going to be doing a loyalist. I'm going to have to look at the list that you gave me also to see if we've done those ladies. But I hope you enjoyed this little uh, jaunt down Christianity and the Founding Fathers. Please, everyone, the new year, please pray for God to come back to this country. We need God. We need God badly. And thank President Trump. If you go to WorldNet Daily, they have a place where you can click on to thank uh, President Trump. It brings you to uh, a site that has uh, pre-made cards, pre-made e-cards, and you can personalize them. You can put your own little message in them and send it to the president. Please, or even email him. Him and his family need our support desperately. I was just, I saw a commercial for Paul, uh, what the heck, Colbert show. He actually has a segment with a tranny playing the part, a transgender playing the part of our, our, our first lady, Melania Trump. Uh, everyone, so there's so many people believe that uh, Michelle Obama is one, but would never. This is so outrageous. So please. Tell the first family thank you so much, and that they have. I I gave them a um, a card that was uh, based on military, and I said we have your backs. And then I asked God to hold them in the, his his protective, faithful, and loving hands because they need it. So another way for you to have tools in your toolbox, like I said, I was going to tell you was to go to un uncooperativeradio.com, uncooperativeradio.com. There you will find these three shows, the Uncooperative Radio Show, which is a political show with history. This show, Women of the Revolution, which is a history show with politics, and then Patriot's Pub, Patriot's Pub, which is nothing but history. And you will find out what the founders that said, and a lot of them we mentioned here tonight, in the, the Constitutional Convention of 1787, which was a runaway convention, Mark Levin. Um, they went there to fix the Articles of Confederation, and they ended up making a government. So go to uncooperativeradio.com, uncooperativeradio.com. The only one you have to listen from episode one is the Patriots Pub, because it is linear, uh, done by three uh, self-taught historians, and one of them Tim Curlin had, has brought Deb and I together for this show by his tragic and sudden death, and we both miss him. Uh, Deb more than my, I never did a show with him, so she did. But uh, go to uh, uncooperativeradio.com, put these tools in your toolbox. We are at war. And as always, Deb leaves us out. Yes, and uh, we've lost a couple of our finest kids in uniform over the past few weeks over in Afghanistan. 
Um, so, you know, thought and a prayer to their families. Well, and that the angels comfort them as they go through this. Um, there's also something I wanted to bring up. Other than the VA hospital, which I bring up every single week, go visit your local VA hospital. I'll say this real quick. And talk to the guys and gals there. You'll hear some great stories, as well as finding out how the hospital's doing. Go into the, uh, the reception area. Talk to some people. They, there's usually people sitting around. Go to the, the other wards and, and talk to, they love visitors. They're, they're you know, they, they love visitors. They, they don't really, I mean, you ask first. It's always nice to check in with the nurse first and see if there's those who don't want to be bothered um, by strangers. But, you know, they do like visitors, and then that way you can check out whether your local VA hospital is up to snuff or not and needs a reaming. But there's also something else that I wanted to bring up. I've been following this for many, many years um, um, since, you know, the way back in the, when was it, 2007, the uh, Pentagon 8, Pentagon 8 um, and then the, the other ones. Well, anyways, the the United um, UAP, the United American Patriots, uh, support these um, soldiers and Marines who have been put into prison for doing their job too well. And um, I can't understand why this is happening. But anyways, if you go over there and you read some of the the uh, people's stories, um, like Clint Clint Lawrence, just he, uh, well, he's out of military options now. He's um, they have to go to a federal court. But anyways, Clint was denied due process when military prosecutors withheld DNA evidence proving that the Afghan men Clint's platoon fired on were Taliban bomb makers, and he was denied meaningful appellate review. And his original legal counsel was ineffective. Um, there are many, there's dozens of these guys uh, sitting in Leavenworth um, for doing their job too well. You know, it was all political and uh, it's just evil. So if you can go over there to the United, I think it's United American, it's UAP, let me see. UAP.com, I believe, or UAP. I should have this up. It just doesn't say it. Um, UnitedPatriots.org. There you go. UnitedPatriots.org, and check out some of the stories. See if you can uh, help support these guys that are sitting in Leavenworth and shouldn't be. So that's just something else I wanted to bring up tonight. So it's good to be back, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, Susan and I are a bit of flighty, but, you know, the last month has really been just a kick-ass month for both of us. <laughs> At least we're still walking and talking, Susan. Um, well, y'all have a good, good, good year. Uh, may many blessings fall upon you, and stay safe out there. Make a lot of noise and let them know you're watching. And we'll see you next week. God bless. God bless you. God bless America. Good night. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.